Uh, Shane Vaughan is no more. I mean, we wanted to touch upon this uh, on a podcast when this happened almost six days ago. It's something you don't do on a podcast, at least not on my podcast on tennis and cricket. And it's pretty tough to kind of take stock of someone's life because celebrities are often, you know, playing in our living rooms. And I was talking to friends like uh, when we have a death of a family member or a friend, you know, of course, uh, all hell breaks loose and then you pretty much live through, you know, whatever your attachment to was a departed person. But you can watch a car accident and come home and have pizza. And that's how we are programmed. But celebrities are different. Like this hit me with Kobe Bryant. And now this really hit me hard with Shane Vaughan. Uh, so two of the podcast resident guests, uh, Aftab Khanna and Vijay Arumagam, are joining me here to pay, pay an obituary type of a tribute to one of the greatest players cricket has ever seen. And it's really, really hard to put anything in context. It's so fresh. Vijay Aftab, thank you guys for doing this. I know we've been talking about this. We have busy work schedules and time zones. Uh, so let's talk some Shane Vaughan. Thanks for having me, Sakhi. Thank you, Saki, for having me as well. No, I mean, you guys have added a lot of value to the podcast. So let me ask you, Vijay, first, being an Aussie, uh, how, how are the public dealing with this loss? I mean, this seems like uh, anytime like a celebrity, you know, walks into this eternal sunset, it's, it's very hard to measure. But what's, uh, what's the mood in Australia? We've seen a lot of cricketers post emotional messages. And anytime someone loses, you know, uh, their life at this kind of an age, it's, it's tough, but what, what is your circle, your, your ecosystem? How are you processing this loss? It's a loss for Australia as a country. You, you don't have to be a cricket lover. You don't have to be a sports lover. He has kind of transcended uh, every aspect of the society. Uh, some of the uh, callback messages we are seeing on radio or on Saturdays over the sports program or on TV, um, everyone has got a, a Shane Warne story, right, uh, so to speak. And, and I think I've told you in one of my earlier pods with you, there, are, there were two seminal moments um, uh, in my last 13 years of uh, living in Australia. I've seen how cricket had uh, come to the top or bubbling up to the top as the, the most uh, common link amongst the Australian populace. Was One was Phil Hughes' death, which was very unfortunate, happened on the field and... Uh, uh, the impact was felt by everyone. And then, of course, the Sandpaper Gate, which was for all the ro- wrong and, uh, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, uh, shameful reasons from an Australian perspective, it became uh, such a uh, such a front page news and it was in the news for everything. But this is different, right? Because here is a national icon, um, arguably the, I think I won't use the word arguably, the second greatest cricketer Australia has ever produced after Don Bradman. There are no ifs and buts. To... To have passed away uh, at the age of 52, at such a young age, I think it has such a stuck a chord with so many people, men, women, children, um, and the grief is profound. Uh, the grief is so personal. And, you know, it, it, I think the, the thing with Shane Warne, everyone felt he was a larrikin. Everyone could relate to him. He was not this super fit guy who worked extremely hard to become what he'd become. Of course, he had worked hard, but somehow he... People could relate to a next-door neighbor who had a beer or a pizza, who loved uh, to live a life. And then he was so good at cricket. I think that's what made Shane Warne such a great Australian hero. And as I've told you in one of my earlier pods, Australians would love to barrack for the underdogs. There's a bit of this tall poppy. So Warne kind of 
typified all of that. He he was uh, uh, probably a, an Aussie that uh, a, anyone could relate to. Uh, see somebody like a Dennis Lilly, uh, Ian Chappell from the 1970s, right? Uh, they played hard, they partied hard, kind of a stuff. Uh, and he he had all those ingredients, and of course, his great success and what he had done to revolutionize the game. That means uh, it's a cross. It's it, it's not the cricket fans. It's not just sports fans. Everyone feels it. And it's still in the news, right? Last night, uh, it's now about a week since his passing. Uh, his body had uh, has been flown in from Thailand. It landed in Melbourne. Wall-to-wall coverage of where it went, where it is, and I mean, they're talking. I mean, they have a state funeral confirmed. It's the 30th of uh, this month, March, at the MCG. I think they expect to sell a lot of tickets. And I, I've, I've heard that SCG in Sydney, they're going to live stream it and open it up for tickets as well. So. It is going to be a very, very somber at the same time, a very poignant moment when his funeral happens. I think this would be the, um, I wasn't here when the Bradman uh, funeral happened. I think I was in India. Uh, This would uh, rival that Bradman, um, um, uh, what do I say, the funeral. But the only difference is Bradman died of old age versus someone passing away at the age of 52. That has made it so much hard for people to uh, process. So Sakib, in every sense, this has been the front page, back page, middle page, editorial, uh, and you know, radio, TV, internet. It's all been Shane Warne for the last one week. It can't. It's not a hyperbole. It's not an exaggeration. That he has, he has been the the story. He has been the narrative, and he has set the narrative for everyone. No, it's, and it's also well deserved. So you touched upon a lot of. Uh... A lot of my talking points, which I'll probably put even for Aftab. But so let me go back to Aftab now. So Aftab, this started uh, against an Indian team in '92, mm-hmm. led by Mohammad Azruddin, and he made uh, a debut which didn't leave quite an impression on many fans. So yeah. what do you recall of that match? In a in a nutshell, were you a Shane Warne fan, and at what point did you become a fan if you were one? So just walk us through your association with Warne as a fan. Yeah, took a little bit of time to appreciate his his art. Uh, Sakeep, I would, I would readily admit, admit. and um, didn't really think much of him after that first test match. Um, and, uh, you know, the figures obviously were not flattering for him. Um, and then, um, you know, I didn't really see a lot of him on television post-1992, but, you know, would, would see articles in, in Sports Star as, you know, between 92 and 96, he kind of, you know, had really good years, went to England, had that episode with ball of the century, you know, had, I think, two or three great years in between. But every time he would turn up against India, you know, the Indians would play him well. And so you only saw Vaughan through this partisan prism of an opponent against India. And, you know, I think there was this game in Sharjah where Tambli hit him for a few in an over. And so you always kind of thought, oh, you know, this what's the big deal? Um, the English and the South Africans and the TVs don't know how to play spin. And so, you know, that's the reason why this guy is getting hyped up. I think it was partly also informed by um, someone like me coming of cricketing age, right? You you started seeing a lot of on television around that 92, 93 timeframe. And 93 was when England came to India and had that brown wash against, you know, three spinners in other side. And so you felt like, oh, English, they can't even, you know, play any kind of spin. So there's no reason, you know, why you should believe into so much of the one hype. It started changing, I would say, from 96 onwards. Two factors came in. One, uh, the World Cup in India. Two, uh, I was about 13 at that time and I had an elder cousin who was three years um, uh, ahead of me. So he was 16 and he was playing age group cricket for Chandigarh. 
And so he had started, uh, you know, demonstrating to me, um, you know, how the bowlers are actually, let's say, bowling off spin. How do you bowl a top spinner? And he started giving me an understanding of the art of leg spin and how, you know, you bowl a googly, how do you bowl a flipper? And he started demonstrating how Vaughn does it. And so I started to have a little bit of appreciation and started to look at Vaughn as a bowler, not just from the lens of an India fan. And then I think watching him in the in the 96 World Cup, especially the semi-final, is kind of where it turned for me. I think there was a group game against India where he bowled really well and I couldn't figure out like why, you know, um, the Indian batsmen are not able to hit him. Um, and I think he, he, he had like an economy rate of two or maybe less than two in that game at Bombay, which India eventually ended up losing. But in the semi-final, West Indies were coasting and... Um, you know, being an anti-Aussie fan for much of my um, adolescent life, I was rooting for the West Indies to win. And out of nowhere, one came and uh, turned the course of the game. And that was where I, I really started, you know, appreciating the ability of Shane Warne to turn a game on its head single-handedly. Australia had match winners throughout the course of his his career, there was McGraw with the ball, and they had very competent people in Gillespie and Lee. And of course, you know, the batting had some equally good match winners with the likes of Ponting and, and the War Brothers. But when nothing was happening and Australia was looking down the barrel, even a team as strong as Australia, it was Vaughan who would pull them out. And he did that again in, in the 99 semi final. So I think after that, they um, started appreciating him much more um, was uh, still a little bit, I would say, viewed him a little bit from a partisan lens when he would play against India, um, but appreciated his craft a little bit more. And by the time, you know, uh, the millennium turned and there was a 2005 Ashes, I was just watching it for him. Uh, and I remember the first IPL, I, I, I was just waiting for him to come on and go. Like, I knew that this is the last few days of Shane Vaughan and you should just get your eyeballs on as much as you can watching him go. Let's spin. It's wonderful, right? How we evolve as fans. And yeah. uh, my journey is pretty similar to yours. In fact, I was even older, a few years older than your cousin, but I didn't know uh, how difficult leg spin is. No one was telling me. I was still uh, in awe of Tendulkar because he, to me, he owned that rivalry. You know, that's how I saw. It. And then my second favorite player, Azhar, also had a pretty good time against Shane Vaughan. So, Vijay, you can come in and just give your, you know, introductory impressions of Vaughan and, uh, and I think, you know, I would say you were probably, even then you were more advanced fan than me and Aftab. Uh, but uh, what was your recollection of Juan? Did you think he's going to be an all-time great? It's hard to travel back in time, but uh, uh, what were your first impressions truly of this uh, this player? Uh, I'm not too sure whether I was an advanced fan. That, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but uh, I'll give my views. Like, I think my views are slightly different to uh, Aftab, right? But you're right. I think to give a bit of a context, growing up in India, a spin was always seen as an expendable commodity, right? Because uh, Sunil Gavaskar played the great innings of 96 on a square turner uh, in Bangalore in 87. Uh, and then we have seen Narendra Hirwani taking 16 wickets against the great West Indian side and Viv Richards was made to look like a mug. Uh, so you grow up in India, you know what a diet of spin was all about, right? Close-in fielders, uh, the way you play, uh, and spin being used as a weapon was nothing novel to Indian fans because, A, we didn't have the quick bowlers. That was the way of winning cricket. I think when I didn't think too much about him uh, when I uh, watched the SCG test. It was not live. We watched highlights where Ravi Shastri and Sachin Tendulkar hit him around. And he didn't play a big part even in the Adelaide Oval. Then he got dropped. But I had the fortune of watching him because, as, as, as I said in other pods, I lived in South Tamil Nadu, which means when 
and we used to get the rupavagini the sri lankan uh, host broadcaster uh, even before we got doordarshan from india so when australia toured sri lanka for that 92 uh, test series the ssc test match uh, i think they were 127 for 2 uh, sri lanka chasing uh, 180 odd uh, they were going to win the Sri Lankan uh, host broadcaster were going berserk in English and Singhala and Tamil were talking about how they're going to win against the mighty Australians. And Alan Border threw the ball to Vaughan in the end and he took three wickets, three quick wickets, of course, tail end of wickets. And uh, he was able to win the test match uh, for them. And then we read a little bit about, because when West Indies toured uh, Australia in 92, 93, it wasn't televised in India, but West Indies were still the top dogs and Border's team were trying to beat. I think my first recollection was, uh, though it, the series was not shown live, we used to get daily match reports. We used to get a bit of news clips. And Atherton, Keith Atherton scored 100 in that uh, Gabba test. And West Indies were able to save the test match. At the end of it, Border said, had Warren played in the test match, we would have taken a 1-0 lead. That was the first time I realized, okay, is it that important that Gabba uh, plays where the quicks used to make all the difference, right? And then the next test match at the MCG, he took the seven for 52, the very, very famous flipper to Richie Richardson. So Australia finally found a way to beat the mitre West Indies using spin as an option, because of course they've done it through uh, Bob Holland and uh, Alan Border in one of those one-off test matches in dead rubbers at the MCG. But to do that uh, in a proper uh, live test match kind of made me think it was great. But then, as Aftab said, he went to England. Again, it wasn't televised live in India, but we used to get highlights three times a day. And I used to, I think I'd finished my school and was waiting for my uni. I had all the time in the world. So I used to watch it all the three times. So uh, you started to appreciate Vaughan, but you wouldn't still think of him as an all-time great or anything like that. For me, the first uh, Eureka moment was, I think this is the most underappreciated tour because Australia went to New Zealand in '93. That series was not even televised live in Australia. It was just televised in New Zealand, TVNZ. Um, uh, Australia won, I think, in Christchurch, or they won in Wellington. Uh, and they lost the test match in uh, in Auckland, Eden Park. Uh, so we used to get reasonable coverage in the Hindu and the sports star. He bowled this wonderful little spell of, I think, um, uh, 15 overs. He conceded eight runs and took four wickets. And Martin Crow had explained about that spell. Martin Crow had clearly said how hard it was. Like, there was no way to pick him. Uh, there was no way to play shots against him because I had watched Martin Close score a brilliant 100 in Sri Lanka the year before after the bombing and stuff. So everyone knew Martin Crow was a great player who knew how to play spin. But when Martin Crow comes out and says that here is a guy I couldn't pick, that was an honest confession because I've not seen too many people make those kind of statements about spinners because spinners were always, till then, at least in my mind, except you play in India or Sri Lanka, were support cast because in England and New Zealand and in Australia, you expect the quicks to do the job. But here, Vaughan was doing all the running. So that was my first thinking. But still, as Aftab said, you wanted him to play against India. You wanted him to see how good he was against us, uh, the country which played the spin the best. And then it happened in Sharjah 94. Sharjah 94 was brilliant. Aftab talked about the Vinod Kamli, but something else happened. A lot of people don't talk about it. I still remember that game... Uh, 240-odd chase for India. Sachin Tendulkar got out early to McGrath. Uh, and then there was a big partnership between Ajay Jadeja and uh, Navjot Sidhu. And Navjot Sidhu, everyone knows, is a brilliant player of spin bowling. It was a one-day game, but Vaughan bowled an absolutely magical spell. I think eight overs for 18 runs, and he took a couple of wickets. And Sidhu tried his hardest to go after him, but he couldn't pick him. 
because Vaughn had a flipper, his dip was different, he drifted the ball. For eight mesmerizing overs, I still remember there were two small power cuts of five minutes and 10 minutes back when I lived, but still I was able to enjoy that spell. But then, when the but India had comfortably uh, getting close to win, and then they brought him on for the 45th over, if I'm right, and he, uh, Vinod calmly stepped out and hit him for 22 runs. So a lot of people remember that Vaughn hit him out, sorry, calmly hit him out, and uh, Vaughn was not effective. But those eight overs of, you know, spell, I've, I had never seen anyone bowl like that to Indian batsmen because they didn't know what to do with it. It's as simple as that. Uh, and then uh, I think the other thing about Vaughn, I think Abdul Kader, right? One thing if you compare to somebody like an Abdul Kader, who came from a previous generation when TV wasn't that great, probably we didn't get ball to ball, but Vaughn, by 94, 95, he started to get cricket from Australia, right? And the other thing about Australia, right, we had um, people like Richie Beno explaining the art of leg spin. People who understood what it was. And as Aftab said, I've never played cricket at any level. So TV commentators to be able to sell the difficulty of leg spin. He had a lot of hype from Channel 9. And then we saw those Basitalis, Chandra Paul, Jack Callis, etc., etc. But I agree with Aftab. It wasn't against India, but it was against West Indies. It was against uh, Pakistan. It was against others. Uh, therefore, the Wankhede clash in the 96 World Cup was big because that was the Vaughan versus Tendulkar clash. First ever day-night test, uh, sorry, one-day game at Wankhede. And boy, well, it was a great contest. I mean, Sachin had given McGrath a little bit of a tap. And then Vaughan took his own theatrics uh, to the field, like, you know, delaying things and stuff. Uh, but then... Uh, Sachin took 10 runs off him. But after that next nine overs, only nine, 18 runs again. Uh, there was Sanjay Manjareka, Sachin Tendulkar, all these good players of spin, but he couldn't collar him. That kind of told us how great he was. And then, of course, Aftab was right about the Mohali semi-final where every flipper he tried worked. Every flipper landed on the penny and did what it was exactly supposed to do. So to me, um, by 94-95, I was a big Shane Warren fan. I kind of knew. And to me, it was big because... It's very hard for someone coming from India to accept another spinner as a great because India is supposed to be the greatest players of spins and we had a battery of spinners and we've got a great pedigree of Chandrasekhar's, Bedis and Prasanna's and Shubhash Gupte's. So for, for someone like Vaughan to win over someone like me as an Indian fan, I think to me the, that's the ultimate testament of a great champion. See, it's one thing to get excited about a Vakar Yunus for his run-up or a Shoya Bakhtar or a or a Dennis Lilly or a Kirtley Ambrose, right? Fast bowling, they can ooze a bit of excitement. But you take two or three steps, you come with an angular run-up, then you become a bit straight. And I think it's, he pulled you into the TV screen or his character popped out of the TV screen. To me, it's not about the great deliveries he uh, uh, bowled to get wickets, but what he did before and after, in between. Um, I think... He he had the power of personality to draw people into the game. And I think to me, that was a great thing. And, and then luckily, somebody like Mark Taylor retired and became a commentator. Like So when people like Mark Taylor, Ian Chappell, and Richie Benner commentated, people who, who knew how to captain a good spinner, who, who understood the nuances of spin bowling, and to be able to explain to audiences about why you do the field changes, how you set it up. I think we were fortunate to have grown up in that era to be able to listen to the great experts on TV to explain to us what the difficulty of leg spin bowling, right? See, one of the famous quotes that uh, oft repeated, Richie Bennett said to Vaughn, Vaughn repeats it, you don't have to have variety, right? As long as you can use your leg spin, the stock ball, as an attacking, as, a, as well as a defensive option, 
and to be able to bowl you know day in day out ball in ball out um uh, i think that's the art you don't have to have a googly you don't have to have multiple webs of course here the flipper here the slider so the simplicity of being able to repeat it time after time and be able to do uh, you know day in day out set him apart and and i, I would agree with one more thing about aftab uh, on won he never ever ran away from a situation whether it's 100 for none whether you got only 20 runs to defend his ability to believe that he was always in the game his team was in the game so he could make people believe he almost believed you could walk on the water he could convert water into wine and so forth i mean i know i'm getting a bit cliche but that was a power of personality here like even look at 2005 trend bridge right england were dominating australia from say the after the lord's test right from edgbaston to old trafford to trent bridge they, they were completely outplayed in those three games and australia should have lost 3-0 in that period but they were hung on to a draw at old trafford here they had you know 110 odd runs to defend but what did won do pointing through the ball but won made a game out of it now that to me defines i mean i'm sure there are bowlers who have got better strike rate better averages better variety better economy and i'm sure the stats people can tell us why won wasn't great uh why one had a flaw here i get all of that i'm perfectly fine with it to me oh the other example was port elizabeth day one gusty windy he didn't mind bowling into the wind 30 overs like to me his ability to step up to the plate during adversity and take one for the team and for all him being called as a superstar hollywood he was the humblest foot soldier but he had more skills and more ability i mean to me that made him a captain's delight and and to be fair he had somebody like mark taylor because had he played under alan border he might not have been that successful because border wasn't the best captain when it comes to handling spinners mark taylor having led new south wales with two or three spinners he had the experience so there are some factors helping him out but the fact that won was uh, was converted into the person the first amongst the equals to have australian strategies uh built around him to me that made him great another example i would like to give before i finish was 97 right ashes australia everyone was writing wants demise including ted corbett with a hindu because the first test at edgbaston didn't go well hussein got the big double 100 uh, thorp scored 138 um ted corbett wrote nobody is worried about wants leg spinners anymore and the lords was washed out so old travel was a green green wicket and every batter wanted to Uh, be in the dressing room every fast bowler was licking his lips to bowl on this wicket what did mark taylor do win the toss bat first why he knew that wicket would become a wearing wicket on a wearing wicket shane warne was the best weapon they had mcgrath gillespie um, and others so mark taylor being such an astute captain he was able to build a strategy of a game around him which means the batters had to go and grip their teeth and get runs of course steve what did the work for them so to me this kind of told me the greatness of won even from that time like in the 90s and stuff and also later on they used to produce green tops for him to negate won they used to have flat wickets doesn't matter what it is you produce a, a wicket which wouldn't spin he wouldn't care you produce a green top he'll still use the moisture to turn the ball so to me he was the consummate professional um, and again i've said many times he was a better defensive bowler than an offensive bowler the fact that you can be a better defensive bowler in a test match gave a lot of options to captains which which is hard to explain so that's the way i would like to look at his legacy sake i mean that's quite the unpacking i mean 
you covered a lot of ground. You covered matches that uh, I wouldn't even remember, you know, because it didn't involve India. So my progression as a fan was very limited. And you are remembering him, you know, uh, Hussain's two, double hundred and Graham Thorpe. I mean, it's incredible. So Aftab, I think just taking a leaf out of what Vijay said, I'll try to do mm. a tennis question, which I have asked and, you know, it's a, a, a comparison and American tennis, it's the biggest market. When I moved here, people would tell me or not, not tell me, but analysts on ESPN would tell me when I'm listening that uh, only few men had broken, had broken uh, the kind of faith to be popular with American fans, Beyond Borg, Boris Becker and Pat Rafter till, of course, Federer and, you know, these guys came along who are ultimate mm-hmm. superstars. So using that as an example with the Indian fans and Indian, you know, like the cricket, nothing sells like cricket. So where would you put Vaughn in your mature fandom now? Uh, if you have to name two or three guys that have appealed to Indian masses and what would be the reason, according to you, is superstar nature, him being maverick, him being flawed. I mean, the floor is yours, but I just want to pick your brain. Like, you know, where do you see him in the pantheon of uh, foreign greats that have transcended over to the Indian masses? Yeah, it's a good question. <clears throat> I'll speak to my generation because I think uh, people of different eras will, will have different heroes, but I think he, he, he comes up fairly close to the top, I would say, you know, within within the top top three, definitely, um, which is also the reason why you've seen, you know, this sort of outpouring of reaction, even on Indian cricket Twitter. Um, and there are two or three factors, I think, that drive it. I think one, as Vijay said, you know, the appreciation that, you know, spin bowling, whether we say it rightly or wrongly, you know, seen as this legacy of uh, or heritage of Indian cricket, somebody could do do it equally well or better us at it, right? Um, so I think there was that sort of grudging admiration and appreciation, um, which took a little while for you know, as I said, Vijay and I have both demonstrated our journeys. Took a little bit, took a little bit of time for the fans to eventually appreciate it. But once you appreciated it, there was no going back from it. I think that's one. I think the second thing is. The, the televised impact of Vaughn um, cannot be understated, right? Uh, so he, uh, compared to Kadir, it came in an era where um, television production values were so much more improved. Um, they were, uh, you know, you saw much more of him on TV than any previous generation. And so you had access to his, to his exploits and you had visual memories that were imprinted. Um, in your mind, right? right from ball of the century to what he did with Basantali to Herschel Gribbs at Edgbaston in 99. And then I think there's there's an element of the Aussie-ness uh, of Juan um, in the sense that he his career was peaking around a time when, you know, India and Australia had started to have this like cricketing rivalry and because there's no other context of an India context, India Australia rivalry, you know, there's a cricketing rivalry, but it's a very healthy rivalry. So there was admiration on both sides of the other team as an opponent. And so, you know, you unlike, let's say, maybe, you know, sometimes you can get very partisan with Pakistan or, you know, with England, there's this colonial hangover. I don't think that was necessarily there. Um, and so Australia was the opponent to beat and Juan was the opponent to master, right? And so that kind of elevated Juan in, in the consciousness as well, especially I remember around, you know, the 2001 series where, you know, there was this, uh, you know, great satisfaction at Lakshman uh, and, and Dravid ultimately mastering Juan at, at Kolkata and how well Lakshman played using his feet, right? But it was different from 98, where I think in, in, in 98, you felt, oh, you know, what's the big deal about Juan? Look, then Luke is hitting him all over the place. To 2001, we were like, 
you know, you realize the value of the achievement because he was a great Australian team with a great leg spinner and India turned around and won a historic series, right? And I would say the last thing is, you know, one uh, embraced um, India, maybe to, an, I would say, even a bigger extent than probably what Steve Waugh did, right? Because Steve Waugh was seen as someone who kind of wanted to embrace culture, wanted to immerse himself and won with, you know, um, his larger than life presence in the IPL, you know, what he did with Rajasthan Royals. I remember back in 2018, an interview where he said, you know, this kid Jadeja is going to be a superstar of Indian cricket and turned out to be true. And one that was one of the really good things about Vaughn is that he wasn't an Aussie, he was a cricketer. So when he saw talent anywhere, he would go out and appreciate it and, and you know, um, uh, and speak very highly of it, which I think to a great extent distinguished him, I would say, from um, his fellow Aussies on both on air as well as otherwise. And I'm not saying all of them are partisan, but I think he went the extra mile in recognizing cricketing talent and pumping up for it um, in his true style. So I would say those are three or four factors that, you know, really elevated him in, in, in that consciousness um, of an Indian cricket fan couple of additional points that I would make, um, just touching upon what Vijay said, you know, Vijay made this great point about Vaughn's art being explained by the likes of Benno, Chapel, and Taylor. Um, and, um, you know, I think Sidvi wrote on Twitter as well that we were privileged that the best years of Vaughn were accompanied by Channel 9's commentary. But I was going back and listening to or watching some of his, his clips, um, Sake, and you see Ball of the Century, it's called by Richie Benno. And there is Benno saying he's bold him, and then there's just silence after that, right? And I think it's it's similar, uh, uh, you know, to to the Gibbs dismissal is probably Benno calling it. Um, and there's these moments of really great shame one deliveries. Juan was an artist, right? And to really admire an artist, you need to sit back, you need to soak it in, and you need to just close your eyes and close your ears at times as well. And the people who are calling those moments allowed you to do that like you if you're in a museum and you're you're admiring a van gogh you want to be to a, to a certain extent left alone with it and immerse yourself with it you don't want a curator coming and telling you a detail there there, there right so maybe the appreciation that we have of one might have been different if it was this era where commentators just can't shut up and have to kind of you know keep going on and on about what's been on television but people like benu and chapel also knew when to stop and let you experience the art and the magic itself and i think that added to the imprint that one left subconsciously because you saw those deliveries, you saw what happened, but you were left to kind of, you know, uh, internalize their impact on your own without somebody telling you. And the last point I would make is, um, you know, excellent point that Vijay made about, you know, Martin Crow and a batsman of his quality having difficulty to pick one. Um, yesterday, I actually saw a video which was uploaded on YouTube about 10 years ago. It's one basically giving a tutorial about different... Um, balls that he used to ball and he had four or five different balls that he would ball and he's kind of showing how you ball a leg spinner and how you ball a flipper and then in the video they have this um, shot of um, you know which they take from behind the baller's arm and then you know from the batsman's perspective and it's basically Vaughn balling that delivery and it's amazing that he shows those four or five variations and yet if you're seeing it from the batsman's lens his grip doesn't change and so that you know made me realize that it would have been so difficult for someone to read his variations because his grip's not changing, his wrist is not changing. It's coming pretty much in the same manner in real time, in nanoseconds. Um, and so, you know, that that adds to, you know, the, the craft of the man and um, the skill that he possessed. That was quite wonderful. And still strange to, you know, consider him as a figure of the past or talk about him in past tense. 
But yeah, I think uh, I think that's quite the summary from you too, Aftab. So Vijay, I'll just bring you in now. Uh, you're you know you're a big Tendulkar fan from back then, like myself. Uh, so how would you rate his rivalry with Tendulkar? And you know, and let's also throw in that comment, like you know, when Vaughn said something about you know he sees nightmares, and then he spent like a whole lifetime clearing <laughs> what he meant, but Indian fans wouldn't have it. So what were those battles like? Who had the edge? Uh, are we biased if we say Sachin dominated him? Did Vaughn have a fair say? Unpack it, like, you know, in your own style. I, I want to hear your view. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a bit unfortunate that uh, India didn't play. I mean, unfortunately, India toured Australia in 91-92, lost 0-4, wasn't invited back to Australia for the next eight years. So India didn't play a single series in Australia under Mark Taylor's captaincy. Uh, and also Australia, when they toured India, after 10 years in 96 with a Delhi test, warned in travel because of an injury. Um, but then he came for 98. So first six to seven years, at the peak of his powers, when he had the flipper, India didn't play a test match against him. So that's a loss for cricket fans, right? Uh, imagine Sachin Tendulkar playing uh, in 95, 96 at a, on an SCG pitch uh, with ball, you know, a little bit of an uneven bounce and ball, worn bowling from around the wicket. I'm sure Sachin would have played him well because he had the stance and stuff. But I would say Tendulkar had a few years of learning from watching those clips and how people have struggled to build his game up, right? Remember, he had a slightly different angular stance. Uh, he worked with uh, Shivaramakrishnan uh, and Saraj Bhagutule and, you know, scuffed up the, um, the rough outside his leg, sem- leg stump uh, to be able to simulate. And he was ready for 98. And unfortunately, Vaughn came after that uh, shoulder injury. But he still got him out in the uh, the first innings in Chennai. And then after that, Sachin called him. So you go up with the records. What happened in 98 was phenomenal. Sachin Tendulkar was, was at his absolute best. And he collared Vaughn. And there are no two ways about it. You could you could pick a bit of a hole in saying that probably Australia didn't have the best pace attack with McGrath missing. But again... Uh, I, I still believe had McGrath played in that series, Sachin Tendulkar would have got a lot of runs out of him. That's one thing uh, Tendulkar missed out, right? But in 99, when um, India came to Australia, uh, Sachin was the captain, Tendulkar was the captain. He played Vaughan quite all right, right? Um, uh, though Vaughan dismissed him for the first time with a straighter ball. It was not a flipper. It was more like a leg spinner's arm ball in, at the MCG for 52, front foot LBW, which wasn't given that much back then, the pre-DRS days, but the umpire, gave David Shepard, gave him out. Uh, uh, Tendulkar scored 116 in the first innings. Uh, then in 2001, when Vaughan came, uh, again, uh, Tendulkar got a, a 100 off him, and then he played those two brilliant innings at the Vaughan K, 76 and 65, where he had to dominate the quicks and then play Vaughan very well. So if you look at it from a, a test match perspective, one has to say, Sachin Tendulkar has got the bragging rights over Vaughan uh, because that's what it has transpired. Now, the, the only what if I would like to bring in is had there been a series played in Australia or in India in 94, 95, 96, um, we might have seen how India would have played Vaughan with the brilliant flip of fizzing. Right? Flipper was something that wasn't um, um, easy to pick. And as I said, even Abjot Sidhu had some problems picking him up uh, for those eight one-day overs in Sharjah. Um, the other thing I'd like to say is the legacy, right? Neil McKenzie, not many would remember. Neil McKenzie was a mid-order South African batsman. Um, he had seen the rest of the South African struggle a fair bit um, uh, against Vaughan. And he approached uh, Sachin Tendulkar before South Africa played those twin series home and away. So Neil McKenzie had called up Sachin and Sachin had given him a lot of ideas about how to play. So if you had watched him, I watched those series pretty much ball by ball. 
Um, so McKenzie would be taking those for uh, around the wicket, kind of that angular stance, like what Tendulkar did in, in Chennai 98. And he would play. The thing with McKenzie, he was good enough to get into those 30s and 40s, but then somehow Vaughan will get him out eventually. Uh, so to answer your question, the legacy was somebody like a mid-order South African batsman had to, during his playing days, approach someone like Tendulkar to understand and appreciate how to play Vaughan was a good legacy for both Tendulkar and Vaughan. Um, I think in one-day cricket also, I mean, a lot of people who talk about the Sharjah Desert Storm in 98 where Tendulkar dominated Vaughan. In summary, yes, uh, I have to give it to him. But I'd like to put it uh, a small little clause. There was one batsman who played one better than Tendulkar, that was Brian Lara. Because Brian Lara, A, was a left-hander. Yeah. He was a much better player of spin bowling than anybody, right? Tendulkar, Yen Chapel, Javed Mayander. You put all of them together, Lara was a better player. Um, whether Lara was a better batsman overall, that, that's debatable. But again, spin, Sachin Tendulkar couldn't hold a handle. So, candle rather. So, Lara played him the best. Uh, of course, Tendulkar played him really, really well. Uh, but I, I, I'd like to finish off with this, Sakib. I think I should patent this. I wrote this uh, for the BBC Test Match Special in one of those message boards in 2003. Uh, someone says it's a bit hyperbolic. Someone would say it's a bit of a cringeworthy. But I would repeat what I used to write back in 2003. I used to say, it's a pleasure to struggle, struggle against Vaughan. It's a privilege to get out to him. It's a greatest honor to score runs against him. Then I would say, uh, people like uh, Raul Dravid and Jack Callis have always struggled against him. Uh, I know 2001 was an exception. Um, but the, the greats like Lara and Tendulkar have scored the run, the greatest privilege of scoring runs, or honor of scoring runs against him. Of course, Lakshman scored in one series and then Vaughan got the better of him in 2004. So some would say it's a bit cringe, but that was my fandom of Vaughan. I mean, to sum it up, to me, there were three cricketers a dread uh, dying in my time. Sachin Tendulkar, Michael Schumacher, Shane Vaughan. These were the three of my greatest heroes. And unfortunately, Michael Schumacher is in a very sorry state in terms of health and Shane Vaughan has passed away. That suddenly makes me feel very old and very uh, you know, fearful of the life and uh, how difficult it is for everyone, uh, Sakib, in terms of how to live a life and how to take care of ourselves. No, you're right. I mean, we had a chat about this right a few days ago when I turned a year older and next day, Vaughan, you know, uh, walks into, you know, his final, you know, chapter. And uh, these things hit you hard when you're in this age. Also, I was still younger than us. And yeah, I mean, uh, we can't take life for granted. So now Sakib, let's... I'll, I'll, I'll add, just before we want to, I'll add something to what you just said, right? Sure. You, uh, <clears throat> and I was jotting down some notes on Vaughan and just looking at some of his deliveries, right? You look at Tendulkar, you look at Lara, and you look at Lakshman in 2001, right? And the players who played him well were ones who were not afraid of using their feet. And awesome. here's the great thing about yeah, Vaughn is that he was a brilliant exponent of drift with the next spinner. And you know, with this trajectory, the ball would go outside the line of your left eye if you're a right-hander, take you in, you know, capture your blind spot behind your back. And that's the drift, right? The second thing is there was this uncertainty whether you go forward or back. Like, so if you see the Gibbs dismissal from that 99 World Cup, right? He doesn't know how far forward to go or back to go, and that's the drift. And you're not using your feet, right? And so the English, the New Zealanders, the South Africans, you know, very conservative way of batting because you're also afraid because he imparts so much revolutions on the ball. There's such a big rip that you try using your feet, the turn's going to beat you. But the likes of Lara, Lara being a left-hander, you know, there's balls coming into you. But Tendulkar, Lakshman, some of the others who played him well, not afraid of going down, backing yourself that you could get to the pitch of the ball and meet it. 
And that's what made them successful. I even like Dravid struggled because Dravid doesn't use his feet against the spinner. So I think that's that, that's the thing, right? How do you best a master? And it's a high risk, high reward approach, but people who are willing to back themselves and who had the skill set to do it because it's not, you know, you can, it's one thing about backing yourself, but the other thing is do you have the skill to do it or not? And sometimes you can, you can look foolish if you don't have the skill. But that was, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting observation across, um, you know, the folks who were actually successful or who played him well. Yeah, and so one thing add to that is it's very hard to cut him, right? Because he, when he had the flipper, and he didn't bowl too many loose balls, so to play cut shot off him was very hard, right? You could play a few pull shots, you could play a few slog sweeps. Cut him was the hardest. So Lara was a master of the late cut. So Lara, he could play a cut very late. If you look at the ninety-eight tour, Sachin Tendulkar played quite a few cut shots, and I think Ian Chappell had once mentioned. It's very, very hard to cut him. And those who cut him were really, really skilled because they used the depth of the crease so much and played the ball very late. So, yeah, there are a lot of nuances of playing him. But as uh, Aftab rightly said, using the feet, playing with the spin against the spin. And more importantly, if you could go back and use the depth of the crease and play the cut shot, that means you can put a little bit of pressure back on him. Yes, a lot of food for thought for someone like me. So yeah, that's uh, I'm jotting mental notes. <laughs> so so let's wrap this up. Maybe a few more minutes. So after I'll go with you. Uh, not try to like be a party, you know, pooper here. I mean, it's a tribute. It's a you know, it's like an obituary we're doing for one. But uh, you know, even Ian Chappell and all the greats have called him. He's a good man, but he's flawed. So I compare him in my fandom to Boris Becker. You know. When Boris Becker was playing his best tennis, Wimbledon, it was like his court, his theater. And same thing with Shane Vaughan. So the fan you have become over the years, Aftab, uh, how, do you, how do you compartmentalize what happens off the field? He made mistakes. Like Vijay said, he's typical Aussie. You know, he's a true superstar. You know, there is not like a very, there's not like a rehearsed PR machinery that was protecting Vaughan. He made his mistakes, but, you know, he delivered every time yeah, on the field, but uh, the, as as I say, you know, the larger you get in any sport, right? We all started judging, you know, a player's off-field activities as well. So, did that get in the way when you enjoyed one, or even a broader question? Does that get in the way when you talk about, you know, famous sports people, what they are doing, you know, how flawed they are, what their shortcomings are? Because you know, we all have shortcomings, but nobody knows what you know, where we fall short in life, but we are all pretty quick to type on a WhatsApp or on a Twitter. So, you know where I'm going with this, but, you know, how do you tackle this broader question and using one as an example, or you can talk about anyone else as well? Um, I wouldn't say it got in my way of appreciating him, barring probably that episode where he and Mark Waugh got wrapped on the knuckles for, you know, some pokey pokey they were doing with a bookmaker. And I... I don't know how things would have turned out had something like that happened in the late 90s or after the 2000s. So I think that to me, off-field controversy is probably the only one that's maybe a, a blemish. I think everything else that happened was, you know, what happens in, in people's personal lives and stays out of, of the cricketing field. I think in terms of the personality and the magnetism that he carried, if I was to use a tennis example, Saki, you can correct me if I'm being way off the mark here, but I would compare him to Johnny Mack, right? It's just like the imprint that, that McEnroe has left on American tennis. Um, you know, someday when time calls him and people will look back, right? They'll look back with this, you know, very fond memories and this pain in your heart that there's a 
slightly flawed personality, but who was so, you know, relatable and lovable and you wanted to watch him, right? Even today, if Johnny Mac picks up a you know, tennis racket and he's playing an exhibition game, you would want to watch him. So I think that's the thing with Vaughn, you know, that that's the closest analogy I, I can come up with. And I I post-dated McIndoe's playing era, but even I caught him towards the tail end of it. And even then, I wanted to watch him uh, play, right? I think it's the same thing with Vaughn, as I said, right? In that 2008 IPL, I was just clinging on to every moment and I wanted to watch him bowl till the 2010 IPL, which is probably the last one he played, right? So to me, like, that's the aura of Vaughn. You take out numbers, you take out controversies, you know, you take out comparisons. It's that, which is right, there are a few of those sports people, right, who, when they're on, you really want to leave everything and you want to see them. And I think that, that to me, was probably his, his, his biggest quality. So, no, Aftab, that's a great uh, comparison with McEnroe. And you're right. I think Vaughn's talent is slightly b- bigger than Becker's talent as a tennis player. I think McEnroe is fitting because the magic is always associated with Johnny Mac. So, I was uh, more going in the way Becker and Shane Vaughn's personal life always made news for sometimes mm-hmm. wrong reasons. And even their commentary is very similar, uh, you know, where Becker was accused of always talking about himself. And, you know, a lot of uh, fan turned analysts always thought Vaughn would always was getting the game, uh, game's way by talking about himself or like giving his notions, but you're, you're, you're spot on with the magic. I think that's going to be t- talked about for years to come. And I think Mackin was a fair comparison. So Vijay, let me go back to you. We did a famous captaincy podcast, which by the way, is my best episode today. After was also there. So since you're such a student of the game and you were very close to Australian cricket, you lived there, you have chronicled, you know, like archives of like Sydney Morning Herald, you know, the writers inside out. Is he the best captain Australia ever had? I'm sure you've talked about this in many barstool conversations. What's the best way to address this question? It's a great question, Sakib. Uh, I know this is one question we have always talked about, um, uh, the, the what if, right? I, I'd love to do those chats. But now having seen Vaughn pass away, having seen maybe I'm trying to put a bit of a better perspective than probably what I had about this because one thing to talk about nostalgia when someone is alive, maybe... The fact that he's passed away um, has hit me a bit hard uh, than anything else. Let me put it this way, right? So let's look at the evidence, right? He was a great captain for Hampshire, right? He played for seven years between 2000 and 2007. And Hampshire never won the championship, but uh, he moved them from relegation to the uh, the main championship. And uh, he, he, he had them very close, close to 300 wickets for Hampshire. And everyone who has played over there, they believe uh, he was an inspirational uh, leader. So... The evidence suggests that at first-class cricket, uh, even uh, at the end of his career, he was able to do very well in English County. Then, of course, people could point to the uh, the first uh, Rajasthan Royals uh, 2008, um, where, like, I still remember the best anecdote was, uh, what's his name? Swapnil Asnodkar. I think his grandfather said something like, I'll go to my grave very happily now because Shane Warren is sitting on my uh, living room, something like that, in Goa. So he was such a popular person. He helped uh, a very young underfunded uh, side uh, to to go all the way and beat the might of Chennai Super Kings to win the championship. So you could say that. And then, of course, we've seen him as a coach. And when he commentates, right, like, for example, as, you know, to paraphrase uh, Einstein, people say that you have to understand a concept deep enough for you to be able to explain it in simple terms. Uh, the biggest commentary thing I've heard from him was he said something very simple. In test matches, you bow a defensive line with attacking fields. In one-day cricket or a T20 cricket, you bowl an attacking line with 
field spread out to defend your uh, runs. Now, I've never heard anyone say that in such a succinct, simplified manner. That kind of exemplifies what Vaughn is all about, how he's understood the game. So that kind of tells me that he would have been a great captain. But the reason why Australia didn't give, right, we have to go back, um, even back in... Uh, uh, when uh, when they had to appoint, when Alan Border left, he was one of those guys who was uh, uh, interviewed uh, along with, uh, sorry, I'm just mixing something. So, no, John Benno and others, when they tried to uh, interview various people, Mark Waugh was uh, uh, positioned by Ian Chappell as a captain, but they went with Mark Taylor. So, Australian cricket has this system of looking at what they've done at the Shield level, how good are they for um, um, the team and what do they bring to the table. So given that, I think they did the right thing by not appointing him as a captain because his off-field antiques and every day being on the front page of uh, uh, tabloid, right? Yes, Aftab is right. His personal life is personal life. What he did somewhere else was his business. But if you're an employee of Australian Cricket Board, ACB back then, if you're going to be on the front page of the tabloid every day, it's going to make it very hard for you to defend because you are spending a lot of PR time trying to defend something that shouldn't be happening every day on the front page. Um, The other thing is, Vaughan went through some very difficult divorce and other things, but still his performance, especially in 2005 Ashes, when his marriage was on the rocks, incredible. That kind of tells you that he probably would have differentiated or separated his personal life from his professional life to have performed. But would he have led the team from the front uh, and be as blemishless as somebody else? I don't know. So, yes, he he would have been a great captain uh, because he would have been a lot more daring and attacking than, say, somebody like Steve Waugh. But if I look at it in a holistic manner, he didn't do any favors for himself by some of his antiques off the field. That means he didn't get the uh, captaincy. So he had himself to blame. He can't blame anybody else. I don't think Australian Cricket Board can be blamed for uh, making a decision which was uh, conservative because they had to go with... uh, what was best for their organization because the, the sandpaper gate proved that what they effect an Australian captain has to have certain credentials and won't ticked a lot of them, but these off-field antics would have dented a little bit of it. So Sakib, he would have been a great captain from what we've seen at the Hampshire and other things. Uh, but to me, um, no regrets of not making him a captain. I know these are very difficult days for us, all of us as cricket fans that we've lost one. But I think I would rather keep the legacy this way that he was a great, great bowler. And I would say the greatest bowler uh, of our times. But um, yeah, probably the captaincy was never destined for him because he probably didn't do a few things off the field right, unfortunately. And that's a great way to win. I would close it out by saying, I don't think Australia missed out on not having won as a captain. They got the results. But the conjecture to do is... You know, we were talking about a captaincy podcast about how a brilliant captain may not add a lot of value to a brilliant team, but a brilliant captain can add value to a marginal team and lift it up, right? And I think that is probably where Vaughan's captaincy lies, which is why if you see a team like Hampshire, sort of like a you know, team like Rajasthan Royals, he was able to kind of get so much more out of them. So the, the thing to conjecture is if Vaughan was, you know, captain of, I'm not going to make him captain of conservative England, but a captain of but South Africa or New Zealand or even Sri Lanka, like how much more he would have gotten out of those teams, right? Because there was not a lot he could have gotten incrementally out of Australia. You know, Australia was fighting on all cylinders during the time that he was there anyway. So they didn't lose out on, on that, right? But there are other sort of places where he went and he was able to show his leadership qualities, you know, where people got 
value out of it. So he, he still ended up contributing as leader, even if it was not in the capacity as an Australian captain. Yeah, so, sorry, one thing I... 11 ODIs, so, right? And one... Yeah, yeah, he did. Sakib. So, sorry, one thing I want to add, Sakib, to Aftab's point. As I talked about Mark Taylor as a captain, he pretty much had a team built around Vaughan as a weapon, though he had McGrath. Um, but when Steve Waugh became a captain, it changed. It's not that Steve Waugh didn't like him or anything. It, Steve Waugh was was a, was a counterintuitive captain, right? He didn't want to bat all the time first. He wanted to use unleashes, uh, fast bowlers. He When he played weaker sides or sides that uh, were a little vulnerable, he inserted them in, not batted first, which meant Vaughan wasn't getting the uh, fourth innings bowling. So, But I think to Vaughan's credit, despite his big ego and uh, larger-than-life character, he understood he wasn't the first amongst the equals anymore, but he still had to contribute as a team player and he missed out on the captaincy. So to his credit, he chugged on. He did what he had to do. I think McGrath said something very well that doesn't matter how green the pitch is, how much the quicks are getting the help. You knew that Vaughan was there as a leader on the ground. So sometimes he had that little bit of leadership, but he didn't sit in one corner and sulk and say that I'm not getting the... Uh, the best treatment or the royal treatment that I deserve, which I got used to get it. I think Ponting, when he came, Ponting started to bring Vaughn to the limelight again. So, to his credit, uh, he has played under some uh, captains who weren't always seeing eye to eye with him or Vaughn didn't see eye to eye with him, but still, he was able to get along. I kind of tells you uh, how good he was as a team player. I think that that's a that's a concept that's 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 not appreciated enough because we see how... In some of the teams in modern times, people don't want a captain. And Aftab made a very famous comment about another person saying, you finish that person as a captain, you would end him. His career was going to end. I'm not naming the names. But Vaughan, though he had very similar characteristics, but he played very well under other people, despite not having the best of the treatments that he thought he was entitled. No, that's, a, that's a really good point to end this. We covered a lot of ground, and I would like to have a final say here. Uh, I read some article... Uh, in Vaughn's tribute, and and I'm being I'm myself a hopeless romantic when it comes to sport like cricket. I think it just adds to his aura and myth that he didn't get to captain because you know he was marvelous at what he did. He's a great showman, great you know talent, magician, and I think the discussions will go on forever. And uh, generations of fans, I think we can agree, will continue to talk about it from years to come. And thanks for YouTube and all the footage to share the magic. Thank you, Aftab. Thank you, Vijay. Uh, this was this was great talking about the great man, and we'll be resuming normal service in the podcast uh, in a few weeks, talking about other topics. Thanks Thank for having us on. It's a sad loss for the game. Uh, it's a pleasure, Saki. But as I said, it's a very unfortunate podcast we had to do, and uh, talking about Shane Warne in the past tense uh, makes me feel very sad. But it is what it is, and uh, let's celebrate uh, the great thing that he brought to the game. Thank you.